Welcome to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. This is an education-based show focusing on tech careers and how to incorporate the important aspects of technology in your current work. Each show brings you closer to tech success. Now, here's your host, Dr. Sharon Jones. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Coding the Future. Today is going to be completely awesome and amazing because I have the privilege of having a friend and partner in crime with me in terms of education on the show today. And I cannot wait to dig into this conversation with her to help parents, community members, businesses, and educators navigate virtual learning. This is a new situation. I don't want to call it a new norm because I think it's going to be part of our norm and it's a hiccup that we have to get through, but I do not believe for the rest of our lives we will be in virtual learning. But let me introduce to you the amazing uh, Renee Hauser, who is simply said one of the most intriguing literacy facilitators I have ever met in my life, uh, mostly because she has her brain work so much like mine. But Renee is a literacy consultant and co-author of What Do I Teach Readers Tomorrow series of a teacher resource books. Previously, Renee taught in New York City public school system, worked as a staff developer at Reading and Writing Project, and as an adjunct professor at Teachers College, both at Columbia University and co-founded Growing Educators, a literacy consulting company in in Los Angeles. Now living in North Carolina, Renee has started a new literacy consulting practice, Read, Write, Think, and is excited to launch her next project, The Teacher's Toolkit, for independent reading in collaboration with a longtime friend and colleague, Gravity Goldberg. She holds a master's degree from both Old Dominion University and Fordham University and is currently studying the Regio, Regio, Emilia approach to early childhood through the University of California, Los Angeles. I may have chopped that up a little bit, Renee, so I'll let you correct me when you're ready. Um, but Renee and I uh, got to know each other through a mutual education uh, contact and immediately knew that um, our work ethic and our thoughts around education were completely in line. So, Renee, I'm thrilled to have you here with with me today and for all the projects that we are embarking on. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here too in all the nerdiest ways possible. <laughs> I know. We have totally nerded out and planning for this and laughing and talking about all the things that we love about education and learning. And um, so let's just dive in. We wanted to focus the show on navigating virtual learning. And we're going to look at it from a perspective of a caregiver, and we want to say that in terms of uh, it could be a parent, it could be a grandparent, it could be community members, businesses that are looking to support working parents, and it can even be from the educator side. Many of our educators are going to be still working in that virtual environment, but then also providing support um, for families in addition to what they're doing in their everyday work. So our goal is to really address from that perspective. And then we're going to do another show where we'll talk very specifically about education. But today is really about navigating that virtual learning in support of our caregivers and how they can support our students. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've been thinking a lot. So I feel like in the spring, we were all 
in a paralysis mode. I don't even know if I have a right, the, like the equivalent of meaning word, right? That feels like what we went through in the spring. And I think you are, 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 are kind of receiving phone calls. I'm receiving phone calls of people kind of in this panic because the, the spring was hard and nobody knew what was going on, including myself as a consultant. You, we've talked about, you and I have talked about this, teachers, principals, everybody was kind of doing the best thing to hang on, like literally, you know, hang on and figure it all out. And right. so looking back now, a couple months later, yeah, perhaps things could have gone differently, but we got through it all. And I think a lot of um, parents or caregivers are feeling a little bit nervous. There's this fear factor mm -hmm. here kind of uh, bubbling up because, you know, some people are telling me, Renee, I had to go out and buy a new printer because I was Xeroxing so many worksheets handed out and, you know, teacher, it was just a lot of transitioning. So I think that's the, to think a little bit about navigating the space of our, my encouragement, our encouragement is to think about how are we creating at home learning environments and at home learning spaces because no one really is asking a caregiver or a family member to be a teacher, to be an educator. Right. It's really just, and so I think the semantics on that are fairly important of I'm creating at-home learning spaces and schedules for the children in my lives so they can thrive fully. Yes. Um, and so, and, you know, there, and we, you and I are really doing work with educators currently to think through um, helping them over their fear factor of, you know, I get that that worksheet was like a quick fix, but we're kind of th rethinking all of that so that mm -hmm. we're connecting live with our kids. We're engaging, we're creating experiences for students, right, in a public school setting um, so that caregivers at home can really say, okay, I'm going to create a space that you can do your work here um, and right. you can move and you can have some books to read and some paper to create and um, that's really, I think, where everybody's kind of breathing into all the noise and the chaos that kind of happened. Yes, and I agree. I agree with that because we were really shook. You know, we went, I know for us here in the Charlotte region, both uh, Renee and I are based in Charlotte, but I know this happened across the country. We really were in school until Friday. And then on Saturday, we got the message that schools were going to be closed. And then it was a lot of questioning of when would they open, when they, would they would they open, and what was, you know, how are they going to make this work with the current schedule? So there was a lot of uncertainty there. So part of what we want to say is in terms of beginning to navigate the virtual learning piece, we need to address the fear and the anxiety that we have. We know that we had anxiety from the spring. Moving forward into the fall, we have a plan. Most schools have decided, not all schools, but most schools have moved forward with a virtual learning platform and or have offered the opportunity for students to be all virtual. So that being said, exactly what you mentioned, Renee, is helping to ease that anxiety is by creating an at-home learning space. That doesn't mean you've got to restructure your whole house because I have a very small house. It's not going to happen. But I have created a space in two different rooms, one for each child, that will be designated as their space to go to when we kick off school in the next week. Yes, absolutely. And it, it's, it's that idea of co-creating it, too, with the children in your life, I think is important. So they feel invested in, okay, um, I need to stand during math 
because that's just how my, my brain works. And so do I have a, in my space, is there enough space for me to stand? And when I read, I'd like to kind of, you know, have a pillow behind me. Or I think it's really interesting. And we would do this in brick and mortar too. Like as a classroom teacher, we would support educators in designing spaces in a brick and mortar classroom. So we're just kind of lifting that up and encouraging caregivers at home to co-design spaces to have with the children in your life of, okay, let's think through, we have this, we have this portion of this physical floor plan right here. And let's think through what you would need to be successful in all the different parts of your day, knowing and honoring that our brains all thrive in different, right? Academic domains too. When I'm telling a story, I like to be up and moving. When I'm listening to a story, I want to be still. When I'm doing math, I like to walk and pace. It's, it's so interesting. And I think a fun um, and engaging um, experience to have discussions around with the children in your lives. I like what you said about the co-creating and to think about how you like to learn because one of the things we do have going for us is that if they are not going to be in that physical building, we can create that learning space that really does work for them. And, and many schools have accommodated kids that want to stand and walk around and I, I know my children's school has as well, but we definitely have that freedom. The other piece that I would say, and this is something that um, I think is, is really important is when we get ready to launch the fact that we're going to be virtual, most of our schools have put forth a schedule. Before I get to that schedule, and we're going to talk a little bit about keeping, keeping that schedule, is my children will get up and put on their uniform, which consists of a polo shirt and shorts, as though they are walking out the door to go to school. So again, there was a lot of mishap and roly-poliness and all kinds of things in the spring of where, well, you know, I guess we'll hop on for this or whatever, but I know that there's going to be a schedule that's going to be put forth and they're going to get up and have breakfast and put on their uniform like they would they're going to school and then be ready to sit down in their designated space. So let's talk a little bit about the schedule piece because this is going to be really important and it's something that I know in the spring when I finally got it through my head about we were going to be online for a while, putting forth that schedule was really important. And many schools are putting that forth right now. What are your thoughts on the schedule, Renee? Yeah. I, and having day-to-day conversations uh, with principals, I'm sure you are too, and educators, and lots and lots of thoughts are going into this. And many, many schools are are saying, okay, we're going to put out an initial schedule and we're going to be resilient and know that there's probably going to be some changes to it. So, um, which I really appreciate knowing that it's not kind of once and done. I, I appreciate that schools are open up to feedback and are really trying to reach out to caregivers. So um, one thing that I'm encouraging people who are designing these schedules for district to think about is um, the, the variety, making sure we have a variety of experiences in the day for children and especially kind of thinking through ages and, you know, navigating, you know, when young children are on the screen or off the screen. And again, really kind of connecting with that home learning experience, making sure there's music in the day and there's movement and there's mindfulness and perhaps there's yoga and um, there's time for kids to, you know, stretch and all of that work I think is super important because even as adults, I'm sure we're experiencing, it's hard to be on the screen for extended amounts of minutes in a row Um, and so that idea of, I'm suggesting to people or to, you know, 
caregivers and educators, kids do need to read every single day, but it might not necessarily be a lesson in front of the screen every day. And kids need to write every single day and kids need to be doing math um, every single day, but it might not necessarily be a quote unquote, my air quotes, lesson or activity, but there's lots of ways we can bring everyday life kind of work. And we can talk a little bit about that, you know, into the day. Um, But thinking through when we, if we're working from home, you know, we've got our schedule set and the kids schedule set. When we start to kind of cross pollinate those, that we're making sure that we're giving ourselves some mindfulness break too. And it correlates with when our children have that. So that can be a nice shared experience of we're all off the screen, we're all up on our feet, we're listening to a song that we love together, we're going for a quick walk outside to get some fresh air together, we're having a snack together. And so trying to honor that we all have our schedules, but also that they, there are times when we can align them and have some you know, off-screen FaceTime together with one yeah. another is something we've been thinking about. I, li- I like that a lot. And in particular, <clears throat> especially... I know that there are parents and caregivers or even businesses and communities that are offering pods or bubbles or uh, learning centers that are going to open to help support parents. And I think that's incredible. And I know that many people may select that in terms of having their children be able to be in these pods and, and work. For those that are going to be at home with their children, and one of the key pieces that you just mentioned is with the schedule. So when the school puts out the schedule and says from 8.15 to 9.45 is a session, and then there may be a session from um, 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock. Okay, fine. So then for me as a parent or for a working parent or even for a business, taking into account that that is when the children will be learning from their teachers. But then if there's a break at 11 o'clock from 11 to 1130 and that's PE time, as parents or caregivers, that's a great time for what you said to take the break together and actually really do that physical activity that would have occurred in the school. And now that as a parent, I can stop. That gives me my break. And I know every day from 11 to 1130 I need to be present with the children to do some kind of physical activity. Now, and if you're not able to do that, I completely understand. I mean, I'm not, this is not a, um, a lecture. It's thinking through how to work with children being at, in the at home learning environment. And for me, it gives me, I know as a working mom, a structure to know that from 11, 1130, I'm out. Like I can't take a call then. That may not happen every day, but that will be my conscience effort. Yes. And we know all of us as human beings need time and attention. That's it. (laughs) And I think what we're saying there is we're kind of filling both those buckets, time and attention, being fully present for whatever time period that is for as many times as we can. Um, And I think like, uh, you know, 15 minutes of pure presence with children goes a long way. It's where we're kind of on the call and kind of with them, that's the tricky part. So I, yeah, my encouragement is to work as hard as we can to truly be present and take breaks from our schedule. Cause you know what? We need that too. I feel like we need to be off the screens. We need to be up and moving as adults so that we can be fresh and present, you know, with the kids on those times when they're off their screen. I agree. And the other piece that I was thinking about too, in terms of addressing some of the fear and, and being ready for this schedule is, having conversations with your uh, child's 
teachers and schools and having conversations with businesses and community partners that could be there to support. I mean, it's possible that from 11 to 1130 and you could be in a community that potentially could maybe have the kids could gather outside in a central location and do, you know, 25 jumping jacks or, or whatever that may look like. But I was thinking, I, w- I was watching this commercial the other day and it was at Walmart's commercial and it was about however you're preparing for school, they're there to support you. And I thought about this is really more important than ever this year because for my, my children and for the children that I'm working with in the school system and, and the children that you work with, being very clear on the materials and technology pieces that they need. So for us being in, in our districts uh, and around me, understanding what the learning management system is. So if you live um, in the Charlotte region or in the North Carolina region or North South or really Virginia, Canvas is a really, is the learning management system that is being used, meaning that is the platform that the children are going to access. It could be in your district, Moodle, or it could be um, Blackboard. It could be Schoolology, it could be any variety of platforms. But I think as a community partner or a business member, understanding where where the children's uh, content is going to be is helpful so that you can support your working parents, parents understand what they're learning. So we know what that platform is and then know the apps and or other platforms that are going to be used throughout the school year and having those ready with the logins and the scans and all of those things so that kids can pop on and not have to go through, what was my login again? We do that a lot at my house. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or sticky notes everywhere. You know. I, I, oh, yes, because Renee is the post-it. I thought I was the post-it note queen. Dead wrong. Renee has the post-it notes. They have, you know, you can get like large charts <laughs> sticky notes and put them all over your wall. And it, yeah, and I know I, I have kind of um, my, the tension has rolled out of my back a little bit when I'm starting to see schools I've partnered with really making an effort to reach out to caregivers. A lot of schools are holding town halls right now um, and, you know, and really working again, everybody felt it in the spring, but we just got through it and kudos, right? We all did it, you know, and now it's looking back that important reflection mode. And so a lot of schools are reaching out. And if you're, I want to say there's a good chance that the school you are working with has some sort of recorded or town hall meeting um, I saw one principal shared with me a whole slide deck and the teachers worked really hard to, you know, have an image of themselves and a message. So I feel like people are really working through because we know how important community is in the beginning of school years. Yes. And so how are we reaching out? And, um, you know, so as caregivers thinking about um, finding that connection with schools and it's very different from going to an open house or, you know, seeing your, your student's classroom. Right. But I think we have for the overused words, right? But we're all pivoting, I think, in ways that we're trying to really um, remember that how important that connection is, not only to the students that we'll be working with, but the family members that are supporting them too. That's a good point, you know, and and, and having this and walking through this, uh, something that we, I like to put out, you know, as an action item or, or ch- an action item is at, if you are a parent, encouraging your school to really share the schedule and the process that they're doing with the community. 
because the more the community understands how our schools are going to be navigating, the easier it will be for parents to be able to work at the same time and, you know, also be a parent. Um, and then how they can support, you know, I think more than ever, I, you and I both have had many conversations about the importance of children being able to use all their senses to learn and then also being able to be exposed to those in the community that are living and breathing what they're learning, right? Who are our engineers, who are our electricians, who are our plumbers or um, teachers and doctors and entrepreneurs. And so the community is really going to be a big part of helping to add to the value of virtual learning, I would reach out to the school or even put an action item out to our community members to reach out to a school and say, hey, I'd be willing to call in and do a lunch and learn or a virtual guest speakership or whatever that looks like to help continue to elevate that online learning experience. It makes me think of the silver linings that we yeah. have to remind ourselves to look at, right? The, it's been really, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks I've been teaching a virtual summer camp for writers and we had children from all over the country on one screen getting to know each other, you know, and that is, we could have guessed done, we could have flown everybody somewhere, you know, and, you right. know, normal time. But I do think that there are some silver linings that um, people are only a phone call away and mm -hmm. to offer that is really important. Um, yeah, absolutely. To see that there are silver line. And then also I'm, I keep thinking of another silver lining of what are we learning right now that we want to continue when we transition, you know, away from this more virtual learning. I think there are some really important lessons that we're learning that, um, yeah, we can absolutely have more community members involved, um, in our, in our learning and, and the connection between parents and caregivers and educators, I think has been is always important, but it's even elevated now. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that we are going to move away from the virtual, a full virtual learning experience because that we are going to be able to find a vaccine and, and move forward. But to your point, there is a, there is a really good skill that's being learned here. Um, the Center for Future Learning actually put out that one of the top skills that students need to have is understanding how to communicate and navigate virtual environments. It never replaces face-to-face, -face, and we know this. It doesn't replace it, but the skill of being able to pop on to Zoom, or maybe it's Google Meet, or maybe it's a Microsoft Teams, or it's Skype, or whatever it is, Understanding the vocabulary of a learning management system, which it could be a Canvas, it could be a Teachable, it could be a Think, whatever it is, understanding how to interact with an inanimate object like a computer or an app um, or a phone or what that looks like is really a, a key point of learning. And that, I think, in setting, when we think about setting our kids up for success this fall and being able to virtually interact that this practice or this the understanding the schedule understanding what's getting ready to come is so important um and then the byproduct of that will be the kids really learning that skill set and and i also want to say this that i am i am nervous about starting online virtual school with my two children and but i also know that i'm going to take it one day at a time and we're going to 
learn a little bit each day on how we're going to get better and better and better at it. It, um, it, it's, I'm making, I'm thinking all kinds of, all sorts of things, but I'm also thinking about the social and emotional learning um, mm-hmm. opportunities here as well. Um, I just was quickly trying to look, um, I will try my best to give honor where honor is due. So Dr. Tori Trust just put an infographic out on uh, Twitter and the idea of um, a whole opportunity for both caregivers and teachers to, again, co-navigate this with children. Their voice is really important in this. And um, the way we manage a classroom online is a little bit different than the way we manage a classroom in school. Quite frankly, I am thinking again of, of ways that I'm hoping this is going to actually eliminate some habits that are not so keen, <laughs> right? And right. rather quickly, but the idea of what Dr. Tori Trust is saying uh, is that we do need to talk to kids about how they can show up and navigate um, in ways that honor their comfort zone, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, and having a partnership between parent and educator and child, that trifecta, right? Which is important, the Reggio Emilia approach too of early childhood of that we're all three are equally important. So the teacher, the caregiver, our family member and the student and having conversations. So for example, if students want to show up without their image on the screen, it's perfectly fine. We can have conversations with them on how they can be present, right? And how they can, um, you know, uh, participate in the experience. So I'm not going to say too much about that, but I do want to kind of, um, uh, she put out a great post, I think, that for caregivers and for educators, it's all important as we think through the underbelly or the uh, really the foundational tenet of all this work is how are we supporting kids' social and emotional well-being um, throughout all this. And then we can layer on it academic work as well. Which leads me to what we're going to dig into next after we come back from a short break. Um, when we come back, Renee and I are going to talk a bit about how to start demystifying what is literacy. Literacy is Renee's area of expertise, and the computer science and STEM is mine. So we have been able to really put our brains together and come up with some really great things that you can do at home to help accentuate learning um, because of the virtual environment, but exactly what she said in terms of addressing our social and emotional needs, thinking about how we can learn through everyday actions will also give our, st- our kids a lot of confidence. So when we come back, stay with us because we really are going to dig in about what to, how to demystify what is literacy. And I'm going to add in a little bit about STEM and computer science there. And we've got some great tips for you. So we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. From face-to-face training to blended training techniques, the DOT Consulting delivers distinct advantage for organizations looking to grow. We help you invest in technology knowledge through training, experimental learning, and community connections. Employees create an overall collective sharpness, savviness, and greater productivity using technology as a tool, thus increasing the technological speed and quality of the expertise in your organization. The DOT Consulting, a new level of tech savvy, Visit the dotconsulting.co. The world needs more women with tech skills. At the Dottie Rose Foundation, we encourage, support, and educate girls who have an interest in technology 
and want to learn how it can be used to enhance their learning and future careers. Our camps demonstrate that most future career paths will benefit from developing a wide range of increasingly important technology and software skills. We accomplish this through mastering computational thinking, boosting self-confidence, and creating new possibilities for each girl. Visit DottieRoseFoundation.org. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. We invite you to connect with the show today by calling in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Sharon at the.consulting.co. Now, back to Coding the Future. Welcome back to Coding the Future, and I'm back with my friend and literacy expert, Renee Hauser, who I don't know that I, I, I did not give them your link at the very beginning, but um, you can find out more about Renee's work at readwritethinkwithrenee.com, and that's Renee is spelled R-E-N-E-E.com, and we'll share this in um, our overall notes as well. And then you can find out more about the work that I'm doing with uh, STEM and STEM education for uh, um, K-12 entities at the.consulting.co, and it's C-O. All right, Renee, we're ready. Help us demystify what is literacy, because you and I know both that some, we don't all sit down and read full chapter books every day. But that is not what we have to define literacy as. Yes. How much time do I have? No. <laughs> you go for it. <laughs> well, um, to no surprise, I really I kind of named this new company, keep it simple, but to read and to write and to think, right? Like literacy in the broadest of sense is definitions is this idea of um, when we read, we take in uh, ideas and information and we think about them. And when we write, we give ideas and information uh, to someone who's going to read it. And then inside of that, there are, of course, all of these sub skills like, yes, spelling and grammar um, and all of those things are important. But if we keep it really, really simple, reading is to take in information and to think about it and writing is to think about it. Really the through line through all, which is the most important piece is the thinking piece, right? If we think about reading with comprehension, it's kind of like saying that riding a bike is about pedaling. And actually riding a bike is about balance. You know, so when we think about when young writer, when young, um, any, it doesn't matter how old they are, but when someone first starts to ride a bike, we want to actually make sure we navigate their body on that bike and then we give them pedals. So really about riding a bike is about balance, not about pedals. Pedals help you go for it. Reading is about thinking. Reading is about thinking. Some people think that reading is about saying the words. It is, yes, absolutely an important part, much like pedals to a bike. But really, if you say the words and aren't thinking about it, and you can say them well, it doesn't, if it's not impacting your heart and your mind, there's really no point to it. And so there, again, there's like three pieces to reading. There's a piece, it's being able to say the words. There's a fluency piece, it's, it's able to say them well. And then there's a thinking piece, it's able to really think about them. And so all three kind of happen simultaneously. It's really fun. 
to think about. So at home, when we're talking about like creating literacy experiences at home, you never outgrow a read aloud. Not one of us, including you and I, right? Like reading aloud, being read aloud to uh, is timeless because mm-hmm. you're creating an experience together where your time bucket and your attention bucket are being filled, right? We spoke about that earlier. So turning off all screens, turning off all distractions, sitting side by side together and reading an experience, reading a book together is an experience. And to read aloud well means there's a little bit of performance to it, right? Like we are, we are basically um, showing off to kids how we read fluently. We change our voice a little bit for characters, right? We read smoothly and kids don't have to see the text when we're reading aloud. They can, it's really just an experience of them making meaning from us taking the decoding and fluency from them. And those are some of the, probably the most memorable experiences. Like right now, if you're all listening, you probably have an experience of someone in your life or even a teacher or a caregiver who you remember reading aloud a text together and then you're thinking about it together. So you're absolutely using the words of the author gives you, but we're every once in a while putting the book down and we're thinking, we're creating theories, we're wondering, we're asking questions, we're reacting. Why in the world did the character choose to do that? We knew the villain was going to be behind the door, right? And so we're modeling, we call that a think aloud, we're modeling our reactions to the text versus quizzing, (laughs) right? And so like the way to shut down that engagement experience is to quiz kids. And sometimes that accidentally seeps into our schools. And, you know, the idea of what color were Henry's shoes at the park, to which, you know, hopefully the reader says, who really cares what color shoes they were, as long as you can picture the shoes and they're relevant to why he's running through the park, right? And so we want to think about quizzing isn't is more of like a memory quiz like you're you're actually tapping into the memory portion of your brain not necessarily the literacy portion right right where that all is happening and so reading aloud on a daily basis is really important for no matter how old your children are um it it really is amping up it's a it's a ramp way it's a you know springboard into reading is thinking and so the more you you read and and think through text kids are going to pick that up um, and take that into their own reading. So when, they're ha- when they have a book in their hands and they're saying the words and decoding them, they're going to remember the experience you had, you know, the day before on reacting or, you know, creating a theory or a hunch of, you know, who is this character? What do we know about them? So they'll bring that thinking line into their own reading. Um, and so maybe another episode, but uh, I told you I'm going to get nerdy on this, but for young readers, if you have a young reader at home, it's actually more important that they learn to think about the pictures and the words than to memorize their alphabet. That could be controversial, right? So parents come to me all the time, wait, I should be, they shouldn't be learning their alphabet. Yes, they should. But actually more importantly is you want them to uh, take in the world of the story through the pictures. So we teach very young readers to tell the story through the picture um, mm-hmm. Before they actually tackle that printed text on the page, and that is that's kind of an inboard into comprehension. That thinking about text. Um, let me ask you this question because yeah. this is in terms of what we read. So, could it be that you could do a read aloud, but maybe it's a magazine article, or maybe it is a um, it could be a book, but it could be a short story, or it could be a. Um, a poem, or I was even thinking, this just sort of ran through my brain as you were talking about it, uh, music lyrics. 
you know, uh, kids are so, you know, interested in music. I wonder if you just read aloud the lyrics to a song and read it and see what their reaction was and how different that compares to even when then you put a tune with it. I don't know. They're just sort of hundred percent. Yeah. Especially thinking for older kids, you know, reading like uh, a magazine article or a blog or something that it, it may not necessarily have to be a very long book. It's just something that has reading as a part of it. Yeah. Yes. And you're, I think you're bringing up a really important part of, again, co-constructing together with the children in your lives and adding um, what I would say genre diversity. So poetry and a magazine, you know, informational text and narrative text. So fiction and nonfiction, all of that together, a recipe together, you know, how to procedural text, all of that read aloud is incredible opportunity for kids one to be exposed to all the different text types that exist in the world Mm -hmm. and two how like what are the through lines how do we how does our thinking stay the same in all of these different texts and how what's required the text is requiring our brain maybe to do different kinds of thinking when reading a procedural text versus carrying the arc of the plot you know in a fiction text right and both are both are important but I, i think that in the terms of a busy day sometimes just picking up a a quick text is is great. The other piece that you mentioned that I think is really, really important is the ability for the children to be able to imagine in their what they think, you know, it may look like, and I know that all of us are probably doing this right now. You can imagine a book that you have read and you had an imagery in your mind of what you thought that character looked like or what their town looked like based on the description. And to me, that's all also an opening or a world into understanding STEM and computer science because here's a couple of, of key elements that cross over with that. When you have a really good story or a good writer who can describe and, and really describe and show the imagery of what a town looks like or what a person looks like, that is, it gives us instructions in our brain to start putting all those pieces together. And that's the same process that we take when we're trying to create software or applications or even understand data and numbers from a computer. Being able to take the computer, be able to write and then give the computer very explicit instructions for it then to be create what we want it to. So that practice early on of them being able to imagine and have that imagery in their brain is, I mean, it's magic. It is magical. I have goosebumps listening to you because I'm also, this is why we're such nerds together, but I'm also imagining now the sister of that. So I'm hearing what you're saying. And then if, if my brain is now going to, yes, because in, in writing, it's the same thing. So when we think about demystifying what is composition, Sometimes our our brain automatically goes to pen, paper, spelling, grammar. Absolutely important. However, I maybe not the first part, right? Like I think the initial part, like if you think of the biggest picture of wanting kids to um, make meaning and think through both their reading and writing experiences, the meaning is carried from reading to writing. So as a writer, um, pen to paper, by the way, writing is probably one of the biggest things we will task our brain to do. So when you think about, you know, conceptualizing an idea and then putting it into imagining the parts and then finding the words to go with it and then remembering the sounds that I have to encode, right? To, and then getting my muscle to actually write it on a piece of paper. It requires such mental energy that by the time I get to pen and paper, I have forgotten 
what I was going to write. Like writing is the most single task. It's probably a lot of them, but in my world, it's very, very extensive and tasking on the brain. So knowing that a lot of times we demystify writing our composition as storytelling, right? Kind of having it happen out loud Mm -hmm. first. So we can free ourselves of some of the mechanics of writing and we get to the heart of what's the meaning of our story or what are we remembering or recalling or um, setting the table together is really procedural writing. What's the first thing we need to do? The second thing or washing the dishes or cooking a meal together is procedural writing. It's It's an algorithm. (laughs) An algorithm. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't even know what an algorithm is, but I love that it is one. <laughs> well, an algorithm are steps you take to solve a problem or to complete a task. So when you're talking about procedural writing, you're saying, you know, we could think through well, what's kind of neat about it is if they have it, if that chore is to set the table, right? They could write it down of what they do to set the table, right? That then becomes the algorithm. When we repeat that action over and over again, that's when it becomes automation. That's when the algorithm starts to work for you. And that's like, so if you ever were, this, anything you see on Instagram or Facebook or social media is the easiest uh, explanation I can give, but that's all automation where you're posting and it's going into a feed and it's moving up based on conditional statements. But the process behind setting the table is that simplest form of what an algorithm is. I have a problem. I'm putting air quotes around that. Set the table. And then how do I go about actually setting that table? That's and, that, yeah. And now you're writing. That's also, right? Like, so in your brain, you're setting it up one brain work you're doing, right? Okay. I've got envision. What's the first thing I need? The second thing. And that's exposition. That's expository writing, informational based writing. And I think that right now I'm, I, I don't know if you're doing this, but I'm totally envisioning how to set the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I wonder what kind of plates you're using. <laughs> yeah. Not paper because I'm determined not to use paper plates. We're using real plates, people. Yes. Yes. I, amen. Um, but that, that, well, that, and that's, I'm thinking too of um, like D, if we demystified um, what is composition, right? For at, for at home learning, you're doing, look at all this work you're doing in one simple experience of setting the table over and over and over again. And if, if we are giving kids an opportunity to rehearse without a quote unquote pen to paper, just imagine then um, that's writing. Like what you're doing is writing. I'm going to just call it writing. Yes, it's not pen to paper. There aren't mechanics and spelling involved, but it's the composition of writing. Mm-hmm. And then the more we automate that, just to use my new vocabulary word that I learned, um, then you automate the algorithm. Then you can get a piece of paper and design paper or you've got three pieces of paper, step one, step two, step yes. three. Yes. And then a lot of kids are going to sketch each step and then they're going to find words for it. So they'll sketch right. and label, sketch and label, sketch and label, then they'll find words for it. And if we get our young students doing that, by the time they get to elementary and middle, that's going to all shift into essay writing, um, which is, you know, just the equivalent. So a, like a simple procedure or a simple how-to for our young writers doesn't mean that middle school kids can't write a how-to piece. They can. But a lot of times an essay uh, well, I'm going to say a school quote, air quote academic essay is boxes and bullets, right? I have an idea uh, or either I'm making a statement um, or making a claim, right? In opinion-based writing. And then I'm supporting it. I'm backing it up with one, two, three. It's kind of essentially the same thing. Um, 
And yes, you absolutely need spelling and mechanics. All of that is really important. All I'm suggesting or maybe agitating or provoking a little bit is that the meaning making comes first. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times when we, um, when we um, preface or when we privilege spelling first, right, um, it becomes a paralysis. Ah, that's for me, I, for many years until I was an adult, I did not consider myself a writer because my spelling is horrible and my grammar is horrible because it's not, so it's not composition part of my brain. It's the memory part of my brain that's actually breaking down there. I can't remember, right? A lot of the spelling patterns. So um, we, if we, if we get, if we create a habit of pen to paper writing and, oh, at the end of the time, can you just take two minutes to like reread and, you know, I'm going to give you a tool for spelling or a tool to grammar. Those things can absolutely be taught. But I think sometimes it's the reverse and more traditional um, approaches to teaching writing. It's all spelling and all grammar. And we forget the meaning part. We forget the composition part. And usually kids rise to the occasion when they get to choose what they're Mm -hmm. composing and writing about because um, you're saying my life matters. I want to talk about, I just got a new puppy. I want to write how to, how to, you know, take my dog for a walk or I, yeah. So that choice piece is tapping into, I am seen, I am known, I am valued um, versus you can imagine the quick shutdown of prompt writing. You know, like I hand you a prompt. I say, um, okay, fill this out, Sharon. You know, uh, uh, my, if I were to be stranded on an island, what would, I don't know. I don't even know. How, you know, you don't want to write about that or maybe you do, but it's going to shut down writing. It's going to shut down that creativity. Um, Whereas getting kids opportunities to make books and explore experiences and write about them um, is this opportunity of an algorithm and automaticity of it too. No, I love that. And so if we think about this in terms of that virtual learning environment where we've got our young people that are participating in online learning, they ha- we have talked a little bit about the schedule piece. We've talked a little bit about setting them up for success by addressing our fears, understand that, that we have anxiety. But these little tips have helped ease my anxiety 100% in terms of thinking that, well, you know, I am doing a lot of these things at home. And, you know, my children do have chores. They do unload the dishwasher. They do set the table. Um, I do give them, you know, I'll say, you know, let's just draw for a little bit. I want you to think about your favorite um, animal. Let's sketch that, you know, something along those lines that I think my point is, let me get back to the point, (laughs) is that they are going to have more structure that's going to come from our school system. But that doesn't always mean that it's going to be a perfect marriage of their learning. So because they're not going to be face-to-face with their teachers or even with fellow peers, thinking about how we can work with literacy and work with our math skills and work with uh, increasing their ability to problem solve is thinking through literacy and math in different ways, thinking about STEM in different ways of things that we do at home. So in thinking about setting the table, you may say, well, gosh, you know, did y'all in, in reading today, you know, tell me a little bit about what you read. And then maybe you can take that and say, well, maybe such and such would set a table. How would they set the table? You know, you read a book um, a couple of weeks ago in a webinar that we did together, and it was about um, a young lady. And I thought, you know, how would she set the table? You know, one of my favorite books is about a little girl named Ruby. And I'm thinking, how would Ruby set the table? You know, that kind of thing. Um, That may be a good, an easy connection that would continue the learning, but not do it in a... um, with pressure. It's, it's more of a natural conversation. 
A hundred percent. And as I'm listening, I'm thinking that repetition is really important for our young readers and writers. Um, and that's okay. And th- because so much is new to those brains that they might want to hear the same story, either read aloud or told by you or experience over and over and over again, because it's creating some normalcy in their life and their brain that is kind of like millions of neurons are happening every single day. And so, um, and you can keep adding pieces to it too. Like, so I'm thinking of like a lot of times young readers and writers want to hear the same book read to over and over and over again. And yes, you know, but, but could you this time get up and act it out? Could you build blocks this time? Or could you incorporate Play-Doh or sketching like you said? And, or you, you set the table every night and that's really important for creating automaticity and routine because it becomes familiar and known. And then your brain actually has space for, well, now we can sketch it out because we've done it in our, you know, we've embodied it. (laughs) There's like, you know, we've physicalized that learning. And so now we can sketch it. So I think repetition is super important and telling stories over and over again and reading stories and conducting um, experiences is really important. Um, Sometimes in our adult lens, it's like, oh, we're going to say this story again. But for, in their experience, they're starting to under, they're picking up new vocabulary, right? People ask me all the time, like, what's the best way to um, teach vocabulary? Certainly not a quiz or a worksheet. It's just telling stories. And every time I tell the same story about me roller skating, I just give another word for it, right? So, oh man, you know what? Um, My dog, he just wasn't following directions. He was a little mischievous, you know, not following directions. So I'm just like embedding vocabulary instruction in either the story I'm telling or reading aloud um, but there's room for it because she's heard that story 15 times or she's right. set the table 15 times. So I'm just going to naturally layer in, um, you know, more learning and we're going to just keep evolving, you know, whether it's steps, you know, in a procedure or whether it's language or vocabulary, um, mm-hmm. that's, I feel like you're, you're taking the known and just like, um, adding new pieces to it. And then it's really contextual and it's authentic and they'll remember it, right? Because it was an experience with you. You mentioned about one of the examples you gave was someone may get a new dog, right? Or maybe a chore is to take care of a pet. And I was thinking a bit um, about all the stories that you could write about pets because children love animals of all ages. I mean, we all love animals. We all have animal lovers. But in particular, I was thinking about adding in a little bit of the math skill with the literacy is saying, you know, you know, we, our dog's name is Cooper. So Cooper needs a cup of food or a half a cup of food. And in that food, then he also needs two cups of water. So beginning to talk a little bit about measurement and how that also is a skill set that when they're learning about liters and cups and, um, Etc. that in gallons that that makes sense to them and like what does a cup look like and that gives you an opportunity to bring out maybe a measuring cup or even just a cup you have in your cabinet and say all right let's make a hypothesis on how much water we think is in this particular cup that's making me think of all the possibilities in inquiry-based learning at home right? Like tapping into these affinities of, yes, if we have a new pet or we love dogs or, you know, people are calling them passion projects or inquiry-based work, the idea of, um, could we, okay, so if this is the goal, right, we want, or maybe like, (laughs) I'm really going off on this, but okay, so you want to get X and X a toy, you know, toy, let's see how many dollars it is. Okay. And we have a new dog and down the road, we have another dog. Do you think they need that dog walking? So could we 
think about maybe like a dog walking business here for the neighborhood and, you know, and all bringing all that math in. Well, how much, you know, how much would you charge and how long, how many minutes would that be? And will that get you to your goal? And I, I, I've seen, or I've encouraged at home caregivers, but also teachers to encourage this like project-based learning or inquiry-based work around like tap into the affinities of the children in your life. And there's multiple um, aspects. Like I just, like there's the literacy piece, there's the math piece, there's the science piece, um, all within one, just get curious, right? Get curious and think through how it could go. And kids will be engaged in that, right? Kids will be engaged because they want to raise money for the toy they want, or they want, you know, to welcome people in their neighborhood to have a lemonade stand. So bringing that idea of inquiry-based work at home is, could be a real fun possibility to incorporate all the experiences that we're talking about in multiple academic areas. I do completely agree. And then the opportunity for them to be able to share that with their classmates or their teacher. So then the virtual time becomes about communication and sharing and articulating and using that vocabulary that they have learned. And we both know that at the core, the the ability to be able to communicate is absolutely 100% one of the top skills that young people have to have. Well, I could talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, and we're going to have to do phase two of this particular conversation because I think what we have been able to offer is and think through is online virtual learning is going to be different. It's going to be different. It is going to make us all have to stop and think about how we are interacting with our kids, how we're interacting with education, and how we can leverage things that we do every day in our lives to help elevate what our children are learning online. And could be a really cool opportunity for all of us as parents, as community members, as business businesses, and as um, supporters of our caregivers to help all of us learn from this online virtual learning opportunity. So we've talked a little bit about addressing our fears, managing that schedule, and really using that schedule to help navigate not only what the kids are doing, but even our own working schedule, because I think that's really important. And then we've talked about demystifying what is literacy and some examples of that, you know, just because you're not reading a 400-page book, that doesn't mean that you're not engaging in literacy every day. Renee, how can people find you to find out more information about what you're doing in terms of providing summer camps and and fall camps and virtual uh, talks with caregivers and even your work with educators? I am in the midst of building a new website, readwritethinkwithrenee.com, and I am on social media with readwritethinkwithrenee. And I just launched a podcast and a YouTube channel as well. But I think it's all going to be housed in readwritethinkwithrenee.com. Perfect. And Renee will be back to do a part two of this with us. And then you can always find out more information on her podcast. You can find out more information and reach out to me as well. And and the work that Renee and I are doing together at the .consulting.co, we have partnered to offer... um, opportunities for teachers, caregivers to learn more about uh, conquering digital learning, learning how to still create that engaging environment even when you are online. Uh, Renee and I have been really thoughtful about tools and tips that you can use. So you can find out more information at her website or at mine or send uh, us an email, either one of us an email, and we'll be glad to get back in touch with you. Thank you, Renee. This has been 
amazing, of course, as always. And um, my action item for everyone today is I'd like for you to think about one activity that you do at home or do in your everyday life that you can see relating to literacy and how can you do that, even though, even if you haven't started school yet, how can you think about doing that with your child or if you don't have your own children, if you're supporting, how can you go and help su support someone else and their, their work and think about doing an activity and just asking a couple of questions or throwing in a new vocabulary word? That's my action item for today. And I think we can do that. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. Of course, you can respond out here on the Voice of America um, app or any or email. So thank you again. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for another episode of Coding the Future. Thank you again, Renee. You're amazing. Thank you. And we'll talk to everybody soon. Thank you so much for listening to Coding the Future. Please join your host, Dr. Sharon Jones, for another edition next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk then.